You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 64 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for December 2018. Joining me today, I have a panel which is both high in quality and high in quantity. Um, in no particular order, we have Gaz Miles from the MyMac podcast with us. Hi, Gaz. Hello, Bart. Long time no speak, because I've missed a number of the last previous shows for some you, reason. Your, your dulcet tones have been most terribly missed, but I'm glad to have you back, Gaz. Oh, thank you very much. It's good to be back. Um, speaking of glad to have her back, Kelly Gamont from TMO is back with us as well. Hi, Kelly. Hi, it's really nice to be here now that I'm officially the host of the Daily Observations podcast over at Mac Observer. Congratulations. So now I come to you as a, as the real deal as a podcast host. <laughs> and I always thought you were the real deal, Kelly, but c- congrats on the, the, um, the rejiggering. Um, it must be a bit weird having Jeff gone from TMO. It is weird. Um, there's still, and well, it's less weird for me than some because, uh, I have a day job at Smile Software, Mm. which is Jeff's current gig. So I still see him regularly. So Jeff has moved from one of your gigs to the other. It's not as weird for me as it is for others. (laughs) That's weird. So Jeff used to be over here and now he's over here. Okay. Yes. So he just talks to me in a different Slack now is basically for me the only adjustment. Okay. (laughs) Um, another voice we haven't heard in a while because of time zones and various other constraints. Chuck Joyner from Mac Voices is back with us. Hi, Chuck. Hey, Bart. Thanks for having me. And and I apologize for the whole time zone thing. It's it's somebody else's fault. I was going to say that works both ways, Chuck, because it's every bit as much of my fault as yours. And um, I, I still feel sorry that I didn't get to be on any of your holiday gift shows this year because that's been a bit of a Christmas oh. tradition for me. There's so much fun I, to do. I know. Delightful. I've, I was so I was so disappointed, but the funny thing was every time that you were able to do it, and and obviously those were earlier in the day for me, nobody else wanted to play. It was like, okay, there's Bart, and yeah. that's it. <laughs> that that doesn't make for much of a gift mail. Yeah, so I, I vote in the, the the doodle, and everyone else votes the other way. Yeah, what can you do? Democracy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I will vote to be on earlier. To be on one with you, Bart. That would be oh. a lot of fun. So there we go, Chuck. Next December, a whole other, nearly a year away. Anyway, yeah, yeah. we are joined. Isn't Hold that on. what the Reminders app is for? It'll just yeah. pop up in November and be like, hey, Kelly said she'd get up early. <laughs> I was about to do, I was about to actually do that to my iPhone. I better not, though. So. And finally, <laughs> because like I say, this panel is high in number as well as in quality. We're also joined by Simon Parnell from the Essential Apple podcast. Hi, Simon. Oh, hello, Bart. How are you? I am just fine. Thank you very much. Um, a happy new year to all of you and indeed to all of our listeners. Um, well, this is the December show. This is being recorded on the 2nd of January 2019. So we, we are almost out of 20 teens. That is that is scary. Yes. Yeah. Time goes too fast. It really does. And as the older I get, the quicker it goes, which makes me worried because I'm not 40 yet. So how quick is it going to go 20 years <laughs> from now? Oh, just just you wait. Just you wait. <laughs> oh, actually, when we run out of twenty teens, is exactly is pretty much exactly the same time that we run out of me not being forty because I was born in early January nineteen eighty. So anyway, that's that's a, a charming thought. 
Unusually for a December show, we have a lot of news to get stuck into, so I'm just going to dive straight in with a few quick follow-ups from things we talked about in the November show. Um, We talked in November about a thawing of relationships between Amazon and Apple, and one of the things that came out of that new um, detente was that the announcement that Apple Music would be arriving on Amazon Echo devices on December 17th. That went exactly to plan and it did indeed arrive and people were able to start using their Echo devices. And we've since learned that um, it's going to extend not just to um, Amazon's own Echo devices, but also to other Alexa enabled devices by third parties. So Apple Music is going to be basically a, um, you know, ubiquitous feature across um, Amazon's platform, which is nice. We were also promised that there would be eSIMs coming for the iPhone XS and XOR. And um, if you're in the US and a T-Mobile customer and you meet a few other hoops, that is now true. Um, We also talked last time that Tim Cook uh, was being awarded an award by the Anti-Defamation League, which was their Courage Against Hate Award, and that he would be delivering a keynote at the annual Summit on Anti-Semitism and Hate. He has delivered that keynote, which is available to watch online. Link in the show notes at lesstalk.ie. And part of his speech, he basically went on to explain why there's no room for white supremacists and uh, people of their ilk on Apple's platform. Basically saying, sod free speech is our platform and we're standing for none of that, you know, and that shouldn't be a difficult decision to make. So it's a good speech. I, I, I did watch it all. And second to finally, uh, watchOS 5.1.2 brought the long-promised ECG functionality, but only if you have a US Apple Watch and you are in the US. It really wasn't long until anecdotes started appearing online about people whose lives have been saved by this feature. Uh, One particular story caught my eye um, where a guy turned it on and his watch immediately said he was in uh, AFib. And he was like, ah, this thing must be buggy. So he tried again and it said, no, no, you're an AFib. And he tried again and it said, no, no, really, you are an AFib. So he put it on his wife and it said, no, you're fine. So he put it back in himself <laughs> and he went, no, no, you're an AFib. And he went, mm, I guess I should probably go to a doctor. And uh, he did and he was. And the doctor went, yeah, that could have been troublesome if you hadn't have come in. So that's good. Um, and also, um, Apple had ta- said they were working on a heart study with Stanford, I think it was, um, and that has now apparently become the biggest heart study in the world. So, hey, you know, good. And now, finally, finally, in terms of follow-ups, um, Bloomberg's big hack story continues to fall apart. Um, Supermicro got a third party to come in and audit their motherboards and lo and behold there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever of any sort of tampering with any of their motherboards be it hardware or software so there is still absolutely zero actual substance to back up bloomberg's big sensationalist story which they seem to be hoping we'll just forget drift away and everybody will forget about i suppose the truth is apart from people like us the large majority of people will just forget about it look yeah, but I think, well, won't we all, the next time they do any sort of story about Apple, won't we all just say, yeah, Bloomberg, really? Yeah. Well, here's the thing, though, is that, like, Bloomberg would, traditionally, Bloomberg is not one to make up a story out of whole cloth. So, right. first of all, um, as news sources go, they seem to be a reasonably fact-based news source they go interview a bunch of people and they don't rely on one source for any information different things like that that 
have always sort of led me to believe that like if it's something I read in Bloomberg, by and large, <laughs> it's probably true. So the thing that I wonder about is how Bloomberg ended up in this situation. And it's not because they have bad reporting, but I wonder, and I'm not saying this to make excuses for Bloomberg or anything. It's just that this is not, this isn't up to their normal standards of reporting. If it turns out that this was completely fake, it means they got bad information from somebody who well, yeah, well, we, we presumably about gives them true information otherwise, and they reported it. Well, we talked about this last month. I don't want to go into all the detail again, but basically this was from their Washington bureau, not their tech bureau. So they had political reporters trying to report on deep, nerdy technicalities. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's a stretch to understand how this one went off the rails. Right. And and I'm disappointed because generally Bloomberg does better than this. And so that's like that's been my stance on it. But I feel like I still feel like because we did talk about it on TDO at the time. I feel like there's a piece to this that we don't know yet from somewhere, whether it's from Bloomberg or a Bloomberg source or whatever it is. Like they didn't take somebody in and sit them down and show them a bunch of motherboards with secret chips on them is sort of the impression I get. That's not what happened. So I'm I'm wanting to know where this fell apart. And I feel like it would be better for Bloomberg long term if they would just tell us. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that, Kelly. That's that's the big thing here. I mean, okay, a mistake was made in spite of everybody's best efforts. I think that's a lot easier to forgive. I feel I feel like Bloomberg, Bloomberg's credibility every time this comes up takes another hit because mm-hmm. there's there's nobody except them saying this happened. Well, and other other papers have been trying to to replicate their reporting and failing to replicate mm-hmm. their reporting. So it just it, exactly. it keeps on getting more and more undermined. And I'm not saying they have to tell us who and what the person told them or anything like that. Like, I'm still not saying they have to show all their sources, but they could say we received bad information from a source that has up until now only ever given us legitimate information. And so we went with it. And here we are, you know, and, you know, tell us about the process that went into verifying all of that so that we all have an understanding of what happened. That's all I want, because that would lead me to believe a lot more in Bloomberg going forward. And now everything I read from Bloomberg, whatever the headline is at the end, you know, is remember that thing about Apple. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not doing them any favors to continue to dig in on this. Yeah, but it's not going to do them any favors now to suddenly try and turn it around because, uh, yeah, you're just saying that to cover your backsides because of the trouble. Well, it's it, you in. So, <laughs> but it's I about mean, journalistic it, integrity at this stage, I think. Uh, yeah, it, yes, it, it is. It is, Bart, but the, it's now too late. I think it's now too late. Mm. Well, start I, of I a new year, know, New Year's because... resolution. I don't know. I'm sure you could find a way. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I I hate to sort of throw a chicken amongst the you know wolves foxes or whatever but um without some kind of explanation i i have to say it came from the washington bureau um it's effectively heavily anti-chinese and it came out at a point at which uh certain you know political factions conspiracy would have had, there would, yeah yeah all right i'll, I'll take my tinfoil hat off but you know what i mean that did <laughs> That does, without a proper explanation of what went wrong, then surely the spectre of um, 
Well, I mean, Political right, remember bias the, is going to hang over it like a bad smell. But yeah, but even if it is someone trying to influence the press, they may the sort the, the people trying to do influence may have leaked to people who would be the sources who then told in good faith Bloomberg something mm. that isn't true. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Bloomberg is involved in a political. Hacking. No, no, but it doesn't. It just you know, it all yeah. like anyway. these things. It yes, let's. Yeah, uh, I'm going to draw a line because. <laughs> We talked about this in so much detail last month. I don't want to derail all of this month's news on last month's news no. again. Um, is there anything else in the follow-ups that uh, people feel they might they want to make a, a contribution on, or will we move into this this month's news? Yeah, as, as long as people don't don't start using the ECG functionality to tell them their health and just perhaps use it as a possible guide. One thing I've always been um, uh, an advocate of is you can use these things as trend lines. Please don't use them as the the be all and end all. They yes. will, as in the story that you came across and the the story that you got. Uh, they will uh, find people out who have problems, uh, but generally, um, you know, you have to take these things very cautiously. Because, yeah, the way uh, my advice would be: don't take the watch saying you're okay as evidence that you're okay, mm, but mm, do right. take it seriously if the watch says, "I think you're not okay." Absolutely, just trust in your own uh, bodies, people. Yeah. Well, yeah. one of the things that I like about it, I. Because I'm in America, I have um, and I got a Series Four Apple Watch. I set up all the ECG stuff immediately because I wanted to try it out. Yeah. And one of the things about it that I really like is once you do one, so mm-hmm. you sit there for your thirty seconds and you put your finger on the digital crown, which is still super cool. Um, by the way, uh, it just uses your finger on the crown, and that's all you have to do. And then you sit there and wait. And then when it's done. It says, not feeling well, tap here to add symptoms. So if you're having some sort of episode in some way and you thought it might be heart related, you've got that ECG information and then you can add like, I feel hot or I'm sort of dizzy or whatever. And you can add other things to it. And then you have all of that recorded. And then that information becomes a PDF you can send your doctor, which I think is super duper cool because you have that, that line over time, you know, like you said, like, you know, um, every like if I go and meet up with, you know, like sometimes it's going to be a very easy thing. Right. Like when I go to my chili cheese fry fanatic meetup and after that, maybe I don't feel so good <laughs> every time. <laughs> maybe there's a correlation there. But I like being able to record all of that information in the moment and then being able to take that to the doctor later, because a lot of people get to the doctor and don't have that information or you know i know a few times i felt kind of funny or something like that you know that's really hard to quantify and so getting getting the chance to do that is better it's all about having a baseline start off with Mm -hmm. because most people won't have any sort of results and i don't think this just goes for the the ecg functionality it goes for um any health related functionality of which i think apple are just going to be coming out with more and more products yeah. yeah, and that's this is one of the things that I'm excited about with this one in particular is that this is just a, a, a data point that you can take to the doctor and then being able to have it do a little bit more for you now that Apple's been through the FDA approval process, at least in the US, to be able to issue this out to all kinds of people, I think is going to be is interesting for what it denotes in the future. Like now that they've yes. done it once, what other stuff can we do with the watch going forward as a health checking tool in order to have better information to give a doctor? 
I mean, I, I've, I've repeatedly sat down in my doctor's office, whipped out my phone and gone through my Apple Health stuff with graphs of blood pressure and so on and so forth. It's, it's, really, it's really quite a useful piece of information to have. Yes. It's so much easier, too, yeah. because you don't have to think about it. And you're not cutting yourself, right? You're not having selective memory and all those terrible human things are also prone to. It's like, no, no, th- this is what's happening. This is for realses. Mm. It's, yeah, it's what you want. Okay, um, some notable numbers crossed my um, RSS feed this month. Um, the first was something that sort of, arguably this is confirmation bias, but anyway, I've had a theory for a while that um, as the iPhone matures as a product the upgrade cycle is naturally going to lengthen because mature products don't get updated every, you know, people don't update their mature product every year and that's fine. I don't get it. I used to get a new laptop every two years and now I get a new lap every, laptop every five years or whatever. I mean, that's fine. It's a mature product. And I think that's why Apple is, is pulling away from unit sales as well. But anyway, data from Mixpanel suggests that the typical upgrade cycle for the typical iPhone user is now between two and three years. Mm-hmm. And that... That just makes perfect sense to me. So, uh, any uh, anyone well, think this is not sensible? Or? I no, I mean it, that's exactly what I expected, and um, I did actually have a short discussion with um, Ben Baharan about this. But another thing that's that's um, come into play, and what happened to me, I just um, you know my seven came to the end of its two year contract. Mm-hmm. And uh, O2 kindly said to me, you can have a new phone. What one would you like? And I said, I'd like an iPhone XR, please. And they said, uh, you know, that will be X amount a month. Um, uh, and here's the sliders you can jigger about with, you know, how much data you want and how much money you want to put up front and all the rest. And in order to maintain my monthly uh, fee mm-hmm. at the same I was already playing, uh, paying, I had to extend out to three years. So oh. to stay... To stay where I, you know, to keep my payments at the same amount and have a new phone and put nothing down up front, yeah, uh, I had to take it over thirty six months rather than over twenty four months. Interesting. So that's, I mean, I could I could have said I'll stick to to twenty four months, but it would have meant paying more money. And it's like I don't, again with a, you know, again partly because it's a mature product, I don't expect anything that to happen within the next three years that's likely to make me cry that I haven't got the latest version. Right, and the fact that you've that... jumped on board the Face ID train now means that, you know, the really big technological change has happened. You're on board with that really big technological change. So I think you're right. I think you'll be just grand for 36 months. Yeah, and I'm, the, 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 the deal is it's also one of these um, refresh deals. So if after two years I decide I really must have a new phone, I have to mm-hmm. pay off whatever the remaining amount owing on the phone is. Yeah. Because they even break it down. They say you're paying right. this much a month for your phone and uh-huh. this much for your for your actual, you know, services. So I know exactly what I'm paying for my phone and what I'm paying for my services. And if if I want to replace the phone before the actual thirty six months is up you don't have to pay off the whole thing. You have to pay off the remaining money on the 0% loan, as it were, on the on the handset. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so there again, the, 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 the carriers are in on singing off the same hymn sheet. You know, three years is normal <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah. they're effectively encouraging people. If they, if they say the cheapest price you can get it is to take it over 36 months, I think, you know, Joe, you know, man on the Clapham omnibus is likely to opt for the 36-month 
Yeah, you put the incentives down, people follow the incentives. It makes perfect sense. Well, and I think that's part of what happened in the U.S. is that um, the subsidy programs effectively ended. Mm. And so when you're on the hook for seven or eight hundred dollars for a phone instead of one ninety nine or two ninety nine for a phone, then I think people are holding on to them longer. And also um, the the evolution in them is not the great leaps and bounds that it used to be if you were every other year. No, exactly. So I well, think there's a certain amount of that with, as well. That's yeah. what happens with every mature platform, isn't it? And, you right. know, you get the first one, the the you know, you went from the two G phone to the three G phone, and the three G S had a much better camera and, and, and you know, the, there were big leaps. But yeah, I but the, the, the low hanging fruit you know, it's been filled in, the the, the big shortcomings have been filled in. So yeah. now we're left with small incremental improvements. I mean from from, from the five S to the eight really, was mm-hmm. just incremental changes. And then, as you say, Bart, the next big jump was the Face ID. Yeah. And, you know, so there we go. Yeah. Uh, there are also new numbers out from Consumer Intelligence Research Partners, um, which say that in terms of enticing people away from Android, the iPhone XS and XOR are doing better than the iPhone X and the iPhone 8 did this time last year. Um, that, I guess, is a good thing. Not quite sure how to interpret that because i would have thought that the iphone 10 in particular would have been a much more dramatic pull but clearly the 10s and 10 or are somehow more appealing i i wonder if the the 10 might be drawing in more price sensitive consumers mm-hmm. from android because it's considerably cheaper than the 10 was if you're on True. android and you're, you're thinking shall i get an iphone i mean the 8 it was you know it was a lovely phone. My wife's got one, but it was, you know, basically pretty much the same as the, the seven. seven and the six S, and you know what I mean. There's yeah, fair point. Necessary. Yeah, where well, the XOR is revolutionary, and yes. and the ten, the ten was revolutionary, and it had the OLED and the, and the Face ID and all that. But <laughs> it was, you know, it was paching. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of people who, um buy android are because they're more price sensitive mm-hmm. so i think the xr the when i heard that the xr was bringing a lot of switches that didn't surprise me yeah no it 10S, makes sense the 10s not quite so sure about but, I don't see, we know. don't know it's the 10s that's doing the pulling right what we know is that this this year's new phones are proving more attractive than last year's new phones in aggregate that, so is, I, I, that so, is true the so, report mm-hmm. i read actually did specifically singled out the 10r yeah, as being I, the android puller so that makes logical sense to me given the argument you've just laid out i, I, I don't see any any disagreement there from me but the thing is, we're all talking about the, the price driving it. And I can't help but wonder if, sure, the price is going to be a factor, but I wonder if the security issues are starting to show. There is that too. That is I, true. Yeah. I mean, with, with the year of Cambridge Analytica and all that stuff we had in 2018, maybe you're right, Chuck. Maybe that is starting to seep into people's subconscious and into their wallet, I guess, into their buying decisions. Right. Well, well and... It, yeah, and, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to beat on Android. That's not the point here. But the, mm. but the simple fact is that Apple is, and I think that it's successfully promoting the idea that they are the platform of security. 
and especially when it comes to mobile mobile devices. Mm-hmm. It's about and business so, model, right? I mean, you know, it's not right or it's not morally better or worse that they have a different business model, Google versus Apple. It just is a different business model, and it may align better or worse with your particular sensibilities. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's and that's a great point. Bart, you know, that it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just different. I, th- I think a lot of us, and sometimes me included, tend to, you know, look at it as, well, this is a, a worse business model. And you're right, it's not. It's just different. But it's something that is becoming more and more of a concern as we see more and more very public hacks or compromises going on. Yeah, and in my well, case, and I think, so I was going to say, I prefer Apple's business model, so I give my money to Apple, but I don't, you know, I have family members who make the opposite decision. And it's like, well, as long as you're making an informed decision, go for it. Do you know, do whatever you like. Right, as long as you know what you're in for, yeah. that's great. So I think another piece of, of this, um, which sounds weird, but it, there's another aspect to it that is price, um, which is the iPhone 10 last year was the first four-digit phone, first $1,000 phone. Right. And... It's not anymore. And at the time, I feel like that was a mental hurdle. I I think a lot of people had a hard time with a thousand dollar phone. And, you know, there wasn't one before that. And people weren't sure they wanted to spend it. And I think there was maybe a mental hurdle there for a lot of people. Um, And now it's it's been out there. It's been the same price this whole time. You can buy some Samsung phones that are also the same price or a little higher. And I think that uh, the sky didn't fall and the world didn't end and people are still selling $1,000 phones. And I think that that probably helped a little bit as well. And I think in both in like, this is a thing that happens now and not just Apple being outrageous by charging this price for this hardware, but also, um, like I said, you can get other phones that are in the same neighborhood and also um the one they offered this year for the same 999 uh is a slightly different phone it's got some updates it's got some refinements it's a little bit different and i think that that's helping as well people are just sort of used to it and you know you just like if you're using your jar of pennies to go buy iphones like you need a bigger jar now and i think people just sort of prepared for it a little better and and planned for next year instead of this year to get a new phone um, you know, they did that in, in 17. And so in 18, when the new phones came out, more people were ready to get them. And we're into the, you know, we can link this back to the previous story and say that people are thinking two, three years now for a phone. So the, I guess if you're thinking three years for $1,000, that's $333 a year. That's different to $1,000 for two years. That's $500 a year. Mm-hmm. Right. Or yeah. one. Which some people trade in their phone every year. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I guess if you're a journalist, if you have to do this for a living, I can entirely understand that. But other than that, it, that blows my mind altogether that people would throw away money like that. But hey, if you have a bigger family <laughs> well, with lots yeah, of... Yeah, well, yeah, there's a lot of hand-down prices. I was going to say, I was going to say, if you're a big family, I, I, yeah. you could cycle it over three years that every year a new phone comes into the household and they get passed down, passed down, passed down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I've got a uh, we've got a one, two, three, four, five, almost a five rotation. In fact, the iPhone R has now stopped that fifth rotation because I used to get the last line back to me, and I used to use it as another spare phone because I use I get a lot of rugby calls, and I used to put the SIM in there. Well, now the iPhone R 
with its eSIM has uh-huh. chopped that up from under uh, the tower gate. So I've now got a phone or a couple of phones now sitting on my desk for me to recycle via eBay or any other means. Actually, I've used um, Apple's giveback program and it actually works very smoothly. And that may be something I'll look into then. Um, yeah, but these I- are getting very old phones. <laughs> the one I'm looking at here is a four of some sort. Um, well, and it still it still works really well. So The worst you'll get from Apple is they'll take it off your hands for free. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which I'm quite happy to do. If yeah, so a box appears, you pop the phone in the box, you, you get DPD to come pick up the box again, and away it goes. Um, and if the screen is in any way decent condition, they tend to give you something for it. But if the screen is in yeah. any way not good condition, the, the quote tends to be zero. It's been, it's been my experience. Um, but yeah, I got, what did I get? I got, um, actually, I got 70 euro for first generation Apple Watch recently enough. Like, so they're not... Really? Or was it a, wow. I have it might have been a second I, I have gen. one of those I need to get rid of. So that's why I'm like, wait, what? I no, it was a first gen. no, it was a first gen. I think I think it was 70 euro. Maybe it was 56, but it was, it was non-zero like. It was, okay, yeah. so it was definitely the first series. Cause I, is that the one I got for you? It is, Gaz. Yes, you're right. It's the one because they weren't available in Ireland and you bought it for me in the UK and then we did a whole bunch of jiggery pokery and then I had to, I had to, I had to spin <laughs> Apple a tail to get Apple Care on it because I was in the wrong country. But you, as far as Apple know, Gaz, you were extremely generous. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you're right. Actually, that was that very first one, and yeah, that they gave me maybe it was fifty six, not seventy, but it was. It's still reasonable. It was still, still reasonable, reasonable, yeah, because basically, I recently bought an iPad Pro, and a good chunk of that money was the result of using Apple Give Back for an old twenty seven inch iMac and that Apple Watch. So it's Excellent. definitely worth doing, and for the iMacs, it's great because that's a heavy thing to ship. Like if you're selling that second hand, that's problematic. Whereas if Apple just send you a box. Not so much. Anyway, one um, one last notable number that caught my eye this month. Uh, some projections by eMarket. Now, projections I'm always a bit weary of, but I think if this proves to be true, I think it's important. Um, anyway, they're projecting that by the end of 2019, um, one in 10 Americans will have a smartwatch. And what caught my eye is that the bulk of these people will be the so-called baby boomers who are beginning to age into that part of their lives where they need to take care of their health. And the fact that the watch is such a good fitness tracker seems to be the key selling feature for smartwatches. And this is a surprise to you? It's not. No, it's again, it's more confirmation, <laughs> I guess. Yes, you're right. No, you're right, Chuck. This is confirming what we sort of thought, right? It's, it's some numbers to back up our thinking. Well, it feels like, I mean, first of all, those that's the generation that has the at least in theory, most disposable income. It's also the one that mm. has been a little more health-focused maybe than generations coming before it. And it's the one who are starting to see things for the generations that have come before them. They're they're seeing the health problems. And so if there's – I would think that this is not only a way to improve your health now, but also all the – all the the um, the heart tracking stuff we were talking about earlier, um, you know, it's it's just the, the, the front edge of that. And so why not get in on the ground floor, start to learn about it? And it's it's just buying a little, maybe a little extra insurance um, for your health. Yes, that's a fair point. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, yeah, makes perfect sense. Here's the thing I wonder about the have, though. Like when I don't want to necessarily nitpick wording, but I think that those 
that that a good portion of that one in 10 is going to be baby boomers who got them because their kids said, you have to wear this. It will tell you the time, but it will tell me if you fall. That's also a health because of that's sort, one of the right? big things of the that's one of the big things of the series for watch. And I know a number of people like on my Twitter feed when they started announcing that option as part of what you could do with the Apple watch, a bunch of people were like, I know what my parents are getting for Christmas this year. And I think that's, um, and as, as they get better, as we talked about earlier, FDA approval and those sorts of things continue on, I think, uh, and, and additional health sorts of features can get added. I think it just is going to make more and more sense to have that little, health computer on your arm so that more information is available in in lots and lots of ways. Also, I guess there's a bit of a stigma to carrying something like a panic alarm, but there's no stigma to having a stylish watch. Right. right. The fact that it also happens to be a panic alarm of sorts, you know, is a bonus. So, yeah, I guess there's a lot of sense in that as well. Yeah, fair point. Okay, um, let us quickly look at some Apple comings and goings from the HR department that happened in December. Um, John Callis, a security expert who led the team within Apple who had the wonderful job of trying to hack Apple. That sounds like such good fun. Um, Unfortunately, he is leaving Apple, uh, but good for the American Civil Liberties Union. That's where he's off to. And I guess in this day and age of privacy and all of that, we need some smart security people in the ACLU. Um, Apple have promoted, in terms of making the role more important, the head of their Siri team um, to being a senior vice president. He's actually the head of machine learning. Um, and I think that's sort of a reflection of his... Uh, the, 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 he came over from Google, so I think that's sort of his um, probation period being over and that they're sure they want to keep him. So they've given him the SVP title. And it's probably not a coincidence at all that this year when Loop Ventures did their annual smart speaker IQ test, Siri showed very dramatic improvements and leapfrogged into second place. Hmm. So long may that continue because um, S-Lady has a little bit of catching up to do with (laughs) A-Lady. Um, Tamara Hunter is the outgoing vice president of casting at Sony Pictures Entertainment is joining Apple as the head of casting for their new super-ish, secret-ish video division thing. (laughs) Um, Apple have hired designer Andrew Kim away from Tesla. He had worked for Microsoft, then he went to Tesla, and now he is with Apple. And finally, CNBC are reporting that Apple has been hiring doctors to help develop its health-related technologies. So, nothing too surprising there. I think anything anyone feels we need to dig into deeper? Not really. Not really. really. No, I think it's Apple is hiring. Apple is hiring doctors to help with health-related technology. Well, that's probably a good idea. It's not a lot. (gasps) What? No. You don't want to hire astrologers, (laughs) do you? You know, I'd be worried if they were hiring astrologers or. Yeah. Pipe mechanics or something, you know. True. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, legal latest. Two two news stories to talk about here. An easy one and a hard one. So let's get the easy one out of the way. U.S. Court of Appeals in California has dismissed a lawsuit that's been dragging on for a while. Um, this is one of those cases where there's great tragedy, but that doesn't mean that the person who suffered the tragedy is in the right. So... A family lost a child because a driver was using iMessage while driving. And that is tragic. That is horrific. Uh, They then went and 
said that because Apple had been working on concepts like Do Not Disturb While Driving but hadn't released it yet, that it was Apple's fault that their child got killed. And they sued Apple for, for, for failing to prevent someone from texting while driving. And the judge quite rightly pointed out that that's not how things work. And the driver is responsible for texting while driving, not Apple, and threw the case out. Which I think, thank bloody well goodness, because that could have set a nasty, nasty precedent. Uh, anyone want to disagree with me on that? Nope. Not even a little. Okay, good. So that then takes us to the bleep train, that is, or the bleep show that is Apple v Qualcomm. And this, this one has deteriorated quite dramatically. Um, so Apple ordered to stop selling iPhones in China due to patent infringement. Qualcomm says the Chinese court has banned sales of older iPhones nationwide. Apple fight China iPhone ban. Apple says China... Apple China says it will push software update to get past Qualcomm iPhone ban. Apple says iOS date will avoid Qualcomm patents China iPhone ban. Apple releasing new updates next week to try to resolve the Qualcomm China dispute. Manufacturers gearing up for a Qualcomm trial. Apple releases iOS 12.1.2, likely to address the Qualcomm patent issue. Qualcomm says Apple is still flirting the law. Qualcomm bans sales of iPhones in Germany. And Qualcomm wants Apple lawyers jailed or fined. I, I don't really know how to summarise that any better than, okay, this this is getting serious. And you thought you didn't like the Apple-Samsung fighting that went on. I didn't, yes, the decades-long Apple-Samsung fighting. I thought that was as bad as things got in terms of perpetual stories that will never die, but I was wrong. Well, this is certainly more interesting by saying those lawyers should be in jail, which I don't remember in the Samsung court no. proceedings. No, that's a that's an oddly Chinese approach to justice. It's, <laughs> it's not really at home in the US courts, that particular line of attack. Um, Not that maybe it shouldn't be in some other cases that have nothing to do with Apple, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, frivolous cases. (laughs) That is indeed a whole other discussion. Um, I guess uh, the Germany case is kind of interesting because right now, as it stands in Germany, Apple are not allowed to sell some model of Apple phone, but third parties still are. So you can't go to an Apple store to buy non-10 or or 10s models of iPhone, but you can go to other shops and buy the iPhone 8 or whatever. Basically anything with a home button. Yeah, if it has a home button, you're not allowed to buy it from Apple in Germany, but you can buy it from other people in Germany who bought it from Apple. Yes. So, yeah. Whereas, I'm not really sure what's going on in 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 China, um, because... Is anyone really, though? Well, if they are, I don't know them. Uh, and <laughs> if they'll be so kind as to send in some feedback, listener feedback at letstestalk.ie, then that would be very helpful to me, too. Specifically with this, like, I... I haven't seen anybody sort of explain what's going on. Yeah, normally clearly, like no, just sort of highlights, you know. Yeah, as weird. I mean, as long as Apple Samsung dragged out, I was always able to give a succinct three or four sentence summary when I covered the story. I can't do that in this story. I, I don't. I do need comprehend well enough to do, to give that kind of a summary. So I just read out the headlines. Yeah. Well, it's, it seems like somebody needs to be sitting in the courtroom, where when, or whatever the the uh, equivalent is in in China, when these judgments are being handed down, because it does seem to be changing. Maybe not quite day to day, but pretty darn quick, as yeah. as the as the attorneys on both sides juggle their positions and their attacks on each other. And Apple release software updates to, to supposedly work around the patents as well. I mean, this is all happening very quick fire. All that happened in December. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess by the end of January, we'll have another whole big raft of developments in this story. Well, I think we, I guess we, we'll put a pin in it for now and we'll see how things stand next month. And let's move into our main stories for the month of December. So we have three of them um, to get through. The first is just a collection of stories that caught my eye. Um, a new, very briefly, we had a new type of fraud make its way into the iOS app store. And this is kind of a Rorschach test of a story, because if you're a believer that um, this proves Apple is wrong in, in, in how they manage their app store, then you can say, yes, but the bad stuff got in. And if you're a believer in Apple's walled garden, you can say, yes, but Apple refunded everyone their money and the bad guys were thrown out very, very quickly because they have this walled garden. So you can take your pick of interpretation. The bottom line is that some developers put some apps in the App Store which abused Touch ID uh, so as to trick people into making in-app purchases for large dollar amounts while pretending to take their heart rate. It, It was quite bizarre that they thought they could get away with this. And like I say, they briefly got away with it. It was reported and then they didn't get away with it anymore. (laughs) <laughs> so what, what do people think how how are people reading this are, are people reading this as good news or bad news you know bad news because it got in good news because it was dealt with very promptly and everyone got their money back it's never black and white is it but really it's it's always a bit of both it's bad news that they got in in the first place it's good news that they dealt with it so swiftly and promptly that and it, that it was spotted and i think that's something else that happens in the apple ecosphere People tend to notice these things a lot quicker and inform Apple a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they'll jump on it. But it is bad news that it got in there in the first place. But you're never going to stop everything. You're no. ne- you, you know, you're going to live in a wired cage inside a brick building, uh, which has a moat around the outside and turrets on each uh, uh, each north, south, east and west um, uh, with guns on the top of them. I mean, it's just impossible. One thing that makes fun of this, guys, is that apparently what so initially the app store only made you go through a review again when you changed the app, and then people started abusing the fact that you could change the description without changing the app, and so then Apple had to change the rules that you had to get your changes in the description reviewed, and up until December you could change the your in-app purchases without going through review again, and I bet you the next domino to fall mm-hmm. here would be that you now can't change yeah. your IAPs anymore. So basically, we Which, can't have nice things because of these plunkers. <laughs> well, and part of that is, like, this still goes through human review, and I understand why, but if one of the big factors that you have to... If one of the big things that you have to do is pass through human review to get into the App Store there's still humans involved and so that's always going to be an issue because we see apps we see bad app store rejections you know just the same as we see bad app store acceptances so you know it's to me it's it's the same sort of thing this just points out again that real people are involved in this and the problem is there's no way to machine this into something that you sub- submit to an automated system that goes, yeah, it's cool, let's go. Yeah. So there's there's never going to be a way because this technically would have been something a machine would have approved, right? Because it's not like it's a bad idea. It's just $90. I mean, it's, it's a bad idea. It's you. not... 
it's not technically a bad thing that somebody wants to have an in-app purchase, you know, because that in-app purchase is based on shenanigans, you know, that's not a thing a, a computer is necessarily going to pick up. So that's the part that, that I think is at issue here. And this isn't a thing that, that we can route around in any particular way. Um, I am glad it was dealt with promptly, but it's, it's the same story that we get when somebody says, you know, I changed my icon from red to blue and I got my app store app rejected for that you know um the last one i can think of that was common was the wave of people who updated screenshots to add the notch for the iphone 10 when they put their apps in the app store and they submitted those the day after the iphone was announced the iphone 10 was announced and all of those people's updates got rejected because you couldn't buy an iphone 10 yet even though everybody'd seen it so all of those app store submissions got rejected for that because it was against the rules even though like come on so <laughs> you know we're gonna have this problem all the time i think this is this is always going to be a, a tension between like people with unsavory intent and people on the other end because it's always people and i think um it's good that they dealt with it as rapidly as they did but overall to, to but Bart's it's not gonna point. go away yeah but to bart's point i i <sighs> Apple, Apple will take it on the chin, at, at least in some people's minds and in some aspects of the press, for doing this. And then, in 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 a few weeks, months, whatever, you know, they will announce new rules, saying, "Well, this this rule could have prevented that, so we're going to implement this rule." And then developers are going to scream because Apple's making it more difficult to do this or that or the other. And and this, there are certain things that you can't have it both ways. I mean, you, you, if you're going to have some security and some sense of, of, of security of buying things from Apple's uh, store, the, the, the iOS store, then you're going to have to jump through these hoops because there are always people out there that will abuse it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I, I personally would like to find these, see, see these people found and punished in yeah. a capital yeah. fashion. You know, because they're the ones that are cre- – they're the reason that the rules are being created and they're so burdensome for developers and in some cases burdensome for users as well. Yeah. Now, we'd like to be in a world where 100% of malware is an Android and 0% is an iOS. But you know something? We're never going to be in that world. There is always Precisely. going to be a non-zero percentage of bad stuff in the App Store. It'll be a lower percentage than in the Android App Store significantly, but it will not be zero. So it's not as – you can always, as a fanboy, say, oh, yes, but look at this one example over here, this anecdote here, which proves that the iOS store must be at least as bad as the Google Play store. No, that's not how it works, but okay. It's annoying that there's an anecdote for you. And here's another anecdote. Right, and the plural of anecdote is not data. Bing, I understand bing. that. <laughs> but, it, 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 you know, this is one of those things that, that uh, we're always going to see. And the trick for Apple in this case is to not make it so complicated that people with legitimate apps and legitimate in-app purchases and all that um, are prevented because the obstacles for getting approved are insurmountable. Yeah. yeah. That's the catch. So that's the thing that I, I wonder about is as they adjust the rules and shift goalposts and all these kind of things that they're going to have to do to try to keep this stuff from happening in the future is how they do that in a way that keeps bad actors out but keeps legitimate developers from giving up because all of a sudden the rules are too Byzantine, everything's so complicated, I keep getting rejected and I didn't do anything wrong, I quit. 
Yeah. Which would harm all of us. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I'm going to move us into the second of our big stories. And goody me, is this a biggie? Um, <laughs> this, I think, was... A, this is, To some extent, this is in the December notes because I think it was such a big story for the whole of 2018. And we haven't talked about it in a few months because I kept on saying, well, we talked about it a few months ago. But really, this has been the story of the whole of 2018 and will probably be the story of the whole of 2019. The battle for privacy. And it seems to have heated up a bit in December. Uh, basically, I'm just going to read out the head, the various stories that caught my eye this month to set the stage and then we can have a a sort of a discussion around them. So we had Microsoft President Brad Smith gave a talk at the Brookings Institute, which is a a US think tank, and he called for government regulation of facial recognition. I actually want to read a quote from him because I think it sort of says things very well. He says, we don't believe that the world will be best served by a commercial race to the bottom with tech companies forced to choose between social responsibility and market success. We believe that the only way to protect against this race to the bottom is to build a floor of responsibility that supports healthy market competition. And a solid floor requires that we ensure that this technology and the organisations that develop and use it are governed by the rule of law. We must ensure that the year 2024 doesn't look like a page from the novel 1984. So that's uh, Microsoft's argument for regulation of the use of facial recognition technology. Um, Then in the US Senate, 15 senators, all Democrats, um, introduced a bill which they have named the Data Care Act, which is, I would describe it as... A U.S. alternative to GDPR, it's much more in keeping with U.S. sensibilities and U.S. Mm -hmm. political reality than GDPR. I mean, GDPR is a very bureaucratic and EU-like legislation, which surprisingly enough came out of the EU. And I think the Data Care Act is a much more American approach to this problem, which has much more of a realistic chance in America. So it (coughs) defines, instead of like the GDPR's many, many complex regulations, it basically defines... Data privacy, it would define if it ever becomes law in terms of a duty of care that companies need to be responsible for the data they collect, a duty of loyalty that they shouldn't basically hand your stuff out behind your back and a duty of confidentiality that they're supposed to actually protect the data that they hold on you. So it's a different way of framing it in terms of duties that the data holder has. So as I say, Senator Ron Wyden is taking the lead on this. Who's oh, my senator, way. by the way? Oh, wait, he's, well, you're lucky. He's be- the senator for Oregon. So, uh, one thing that makes me particularly happy about him overall, the reason I continue to vote for him, is because he does understand technology and repercussions from different things that different decisions made about technology, and he's pretty on top of it. And so, like, whenever you see those embarrassing things about, you know, they brought uh, the the CEO of Google in to chat with people, you know, in, in, in a Senate hearing and they're talking about how did this happen on my iPhone? And he's like, we don't make those. Um, (laughs) like that's never Ron Wyden. Like, so that's one thing that gives me hope about different sorts of legislation. When I hear about something that, that wants to regulate technology or some other sort of bill that's been introduced, I always want to know who's attached. And part of the reason for that is because Ron Wyden is one of the people who's pretty up on that sort of thing and makes it his business to be. And so um, that is what makes me glad about it. But also, you know, as my senator, I'm a person who can call up and give my zip code and say, yes, this is a good idea. Thank you for doing the thing that I want to do. You know, if if 
and and generally that's what happens because he's usually he's usually doing things that I agree with a lot of the well, time. He, even so, from um, this side of the Atlantic Ocean, the list of senators who I know to be technically competent is very short, but. Without yes. a shadow of a doubt, at the top of that list, even from here in Ireland, I know that Senator Wyden knows what he's talking about in terms of tech, which is impressive, I think, that he's he manages to be so on the nose. Uh, the Australians, however, have gone well beyond proposing legislation and they've gone and voted for it. Um, they have passed a fairly controversial anti-encryption law and it hasn't become law quite yet. It has a few more administrative hurdles to sort of hop and skip over but ultimately their law has passed parliament um uh, they their law basically allows for technical assistance requests which are basically where you say to a tech company please help and they can voluntarily choose to assist uh technical assistance notices which are a stronger version of that where basically you already have the capability to do something And therefore, you must now do it for us. And then the really scary one is the technical capability notice where the government can tell a tech company that they must implement capability to make something possible, like, say, removing encryption. The kind of weird bit is that they all, the law also says at the same time that they can't, that you can't force them. you can't force the weakening of technology. So how the technical capability notice and a prohibition of weakening, of introducing vulnerabilities, how those two can coexist, I have no idea. That seems to be a complete silver unicorn. But hey, that's now the law, um, which is kind of scary. And then the Indian government decided that this was a great idea. Uh, and so they've now put out proposals that they'd like to do something similar, please. Uh, And then finally, while all of this is going on, Apple have done what Apple have been doing for years and Apple have released their latest transparency report. You can go look up and see just how many law enforcement requests they've received in the various countries they operate in. So all of that is what happened in December in terms of this war on privacy. Um, Does anyone feel they want to chime in on that? Bart, I don't know that it's a war on privacy in the sense that Everybody's against it. It's, I mean, okay. So I'll, I'll talk up the Australians for a minute. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the idea here is that they they feel very strongly about giving their law enforcement people the option to get into these devices for the right reasons. But now to switch it around, you're right on the silver unicorn thing. They're asking for something that is impossible. If you if you have any concern that any of this material could ever get to the wrong people, which means that. That should last about a minute and a half because you know it's going to happen yeah. sooner or later. So the, the ideals are nice, but but unfortunately, these rules are, are being made by people that don't understand that one and one can't equal three. And they That's, desperately and, and, wanted to. And I understand why they wanted to because absolutely. of course you want something that only good guys can use. Absolutely. But but the, and the thing is and, – and I've made this point other places. You know, OK, so – a few years ago, you know, the question had to be, did you trust your data to Barack Obama? And at least – and I'm doing the U.S. thing for obvious sure, reasons. Sure. Now the question is, do you trust your information to Donald Trump? Well, there's no difference because yeah. it's not like all of a sudden the key gets changed or things get erased when it goes from one one party or one president to the next. 
you know, that that's the fallacy. So you really have to build that into your thinking that and and that can go for the for the for Australia, for the EU, across the board, you know. The, the the powers that are in power, the people that are in power, change constantly, mm-hmm. yep. and so if you're giving it to one, you're giving it to all. Yes, no, that's a really good point, Chuck. Because you have to think ahead, not in terms of do I trust this administration, but do I trust any hypothetical administration in the future with X, mm-hmm. Y, or Z power? Because that's how laws work. You're, you, the law is for everyone, right. not just for the people you and- like. And another way, like another example of this, I guess, is um, one password, because one password, you set your master password and that's what you have. And there you go. And if you forget it, that's too bad. But if you go to their tech support and ask them to reset it, they can't do that. They don't have access. There is no key. And the reason for that is because if it is possible for anyone to reset your master password and gain access to your one password vault, it is possible for anyone to gain access to one password. If they can reset your password for you. So you have to make it the same for everybody. And that's, I I think that's a thing that sometimes gets lost in all of this is, well, yeah, but bad guys. Well, yeah, but good guys that somebody has a grudge against, you know, Again, this goes back to the App Store thing, like because people, there's always going to be some some compelling argument for or against because there's a good guy involved or a bad guy involved. And obviously, once you involve the people, then it can become a very different argument. But you have to take the people out of it. Like you're saying, you know, it's not do I trust this president or that president? It's do I trust a president? And it's a very different question. And if you don't think so, try using the opposite of the person who is doing that now and see how that works for you. And the thing to bear in mind the encryption you have isn't, its job isn't to keep the government out. It keeps the government out as a side effect. Its job is to keep cyber criminals out. And there is an awful lot more cyber crime than there is need for governments to break into phones. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a sort of a tail wagging the dog to some extent potentially here too. And the argument against strong encryption is not, well, why, what have you got to hide from the government? It's what have you got to hide from criminals? And it's like, well... Everything, because they're trying to steal my identity so they can steal my money, so they can steal my life, so they can steal my stuff. I mean, you know, the protection here is not against governments, it's against criminals. But in order to protect you against criminals, you have to protect you full stop. Because like you say, the protection is either there or it isn't. It can't be half there. Mm -hmm. Well, I think... I think the thing there comes down to, in order to protect, you know, the 97.5, seven five percent of law-abiding citizens we have to unfortunately extend the same protection to the you know 1.75 percent of miscreants and there's nothing you can do about that yep because we don't have encryption that only works for good guys exactly um you know know, and the the usual bogeymen are always brought up you know the terrorists the drug, drug runners the child molesters and it's like realistically you know i've i've checked on this you are more likely to be hit on the head by a meteorite than you are to actually be killed by um terrorist action at least if you live in the but what the, if the terrorists you know, are the us manipulating the kuiper belt and sending asteroids our way sorry yeah i'm just saying un- oh, unfortunately no, no, no. The, the the bogeymen are raised all the time they are a very tiny tiny 
fraction of the people and you you it it's the greatest good for the greatest number if you by extending reasonable protection to everybody you have to give the same protection to the miscreants but the other way round doesn't work everybody should be unprotected so that we can unmask a few miscreants no that does that's not how it works that's well, not how modern society works yeah and well, don't forget don't forget that one person's good guy is another person's bad guy Yes. So, the, right. you know, just because we all here can agree who the bad guys are, I'm sure there are different factions that see those people as good guys. Right. And, and well, so, you know, yeah. if, if you're a drug trafficker, I'm sure, you know, the people who supply you and the people who buy from you are considered to be good guys. In your but life it's even because I mean, they keep your economy running. Right. But that's, that's example, not even where yes. Chuck is going. I think it's more a case of I think what you're saying, Chuck, is. You know, we generally would accept our governments as the good guys. But if you live in the Middle East, you may have a very, very different opinion of which column government goes into, be it good guy or bad guy. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, I mean, you know, political alliances change. And mm -hmm. so while while my country may be friends with your country right now, in a few years, you know, they could be at each other's throats. We and have yeah. always been at war with Oceania. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, that's exactly true. Though I mean, that is the point. That is the whole point of that joke in in 1984, isn't it? We have always been at war with Oceania. Why? Yeah. Because because we say so. End of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, the government of Saudi Arabia would be a good example of this. Definitely a Western ally, but then you have the murder of the journalist Khashoggi, and now you're kind of going, yeah, maybe they're in the wrong. Maybe we filed them in the wrong column. Yeah, exactly. Although, to be honest, most governments don't fit really well into either column because you know, <laughs> it's the glass half full, so, glass half empty. They're, they're kind of both, really, a lot of them. Anyway. Yeah, there we go. Thankfully, this is not Let's Talk Politics, which could be a fun show, but I'd need a lot more whiskey, um, I think. <laughs> we are word. I think that's my biggest issue here is that the fact that we're a, a lot of reliance. <laughs> the lack of whiskey? <laughs> yeah, that, is, that as well. But it's the reliance on... Um, on companies to actually fight the corner because yeah. a lot of the politicians, that's the biggest concern we've got because most of the politicians, not all of them, but most of the politicians don't know all of the nuances on what they're actually arguing for or against. Well, this is, this is why, and I'm just, they haven't paid me because they're a charity. This is why I think it's important that you donate to the Electronic Frontier Foundation every year. And um, it just so happens by pure accident that my membership card arrived in the post this week, along with my um, free stickers for donating to them again. And I, I donate every year, so I now have far too many stickers. So I don't know where I'm going to stick uh, my latest um, I blank censorship or my your password is weak sticker, but I'm sure I'll find somewhere to put them. But anyway, if you don't yet support the EFF, please consider doing so because we really do need smart people fighting for our digital rights. Yep. Okay, I am going to draw a line under that story just to say I don't imagine this will be the last time we speak of it in 2019. Odds are slim. Yeah, it's very slim. It's like like Samsung or like the Qualcomm story. This one is probably going to be about for a bit. And then our final main story of the month is a weird story to get your head around. Um, I've called it Bendgate Two, the iPad Pro edition. <laughs> so, oh, as best as I can understand it, we have a number of anecdotes which very clearly show very bent iPads Pro. 
Not subtly bent. No, no. Good, proper bent. Now, an Apple executive named Dan Rico has said that for iPad Pros, the standard they are working to is a maximum bend of 400 microns. 400 microns is less than half a millimetre. That is spectacularly teeny over the length of an iPad Pro. So he cannot have been talking about the clearly bent iPads that are that we have seen a few examples of. But people have interpreted his comment as, no, no, this level of bending seen in here in these pictures is okay because it's within our tolerances. It's like, no, 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 no. I know what 400 microns is and that's not 400 microns. And the one thing we have absolutely no idea of is how... How many of these anecdotes are there? Is this one batch of 12 really badly bent iPads causing all of this kerfuffle? Or are there thousands and thousands of bent iPads ruining people's Christmases all over the world? I have no idea, and I don't think anyone does. Uh, the only one thing we do know is that sales are not down. Um, I have one, and it's not bent. That's also one more anecdote I have. So how are people <laughs> interpreting... Do, does anyone know what to make of this? Because I'm, I'm very confused. Well, I think I may have summed up everyone's confusion, yes. I think that's the best answer all night. I've never heard a panel be so quiet. So, yeah. And I wish, I mean, I know Adam Christensen has been asking his audience to get in touch if they have any direct experience of this. And so far he hasn't heard anything. I have a data, you know, I have a data source of one, me. I got a new iPad Pro late December, it is, to the best of my ability to determine, it is perfectly straight. It might be bent by 400 microns, because I'd be damned if I could tell you if it was or it wasn't, because 400 microns is nothing. If there there is a limit of 400 microns, but most people, uh, 99.99.4 microns of people, are not going to actually notice that. Now, if there are bent iPads going out there, there is a reason and Apple will try and fix it if they're given enough evidence on those bent iPads coming from the same source or from a source which is causing that problem. Um, and you always have 14 days to return any Apple product that you're abs- not happy with. Absolutely. That, that's what mm-hmm. really, really winds me up. People are so quick these days just to start shouting it from the top of the building rather than get it fixed and then start shouting, hey, I had a problem. They fixed it. No, it's always going to be the bad. This is a bent iPad. It's a disgrace. It's dreadful. And look at it. Look, it, it's bent at 0.600 microns. It just winds me up quite a lot. That's why I sighed quite heavily. Yeah, well, the thing um, is, right, if this turns out to be something that has <laughs> hundreds of thousands of bent iPads and Apple have a quality control problem and that's a story and that's a big deal that needs fixing. Yes. yes. But if there's 10 of them out of the millions they shipped, then that's called normal. <laughs> Correct. Correct. I... Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pull my hair out because I haven't got much left. I recently got a blade one all over, so I don't know if I can physically pull anything. And there's not much of it there in the first place before. I I think it's just, uh, yeah, until we see lots and lots of evidence of people complaining about the fact there's bent iPads out there, uh, Apple will then fix it. I'm sure Apple was straight on it doing their you know their normal quality checks you know it, the way people talk about this it's it's as if this company doesn't have any qa checks come on people 
get a grip. If you've got a bent out iPad, talk to Apple, get it replaced if you're that concerned. Um, unless, of course, they won't replace it because it's within tolerances. And if you can, if you can actually see that difference, then well, maybe if you can detect the 400 microns, credit to you. Yeah. My argument would be if you can detect that it's not 400 microns, therefore it doesn't meet Apple standards, therefore it is defective, therefore Apple have to fix it for you. I would agree. Pretty much. Um, The best I can tell, a piece of, a a sheet of paper is slightly under 100 microns. Right, so So four sheets of paper. You're looking at three, four sheets of paper. Over the length seeing of an that iPad. amount of bend over the length of an over the length of a sheet of paper, if you have the big iPad, yeah, and it does seem to be the big iPads that are affected by this, yeah, and it seems apparently from the very few anecdotes, a trend that may or may not be noise in the data or real is that the cellular ones apparently are more prone to it, but again, the data points are so few and far between, I feel as someone with a science education, I feel dirty just saying that. Because it's <laughs> it's, it's just anecdote. Based, you know. <laughs> As Kelly has already so astutely stated, the plural of anecdote is not data. And right now what we have is anecdote. And not even yes. much. Not even many anecdotes. Just a handful of anecdotes. So I have no doubt there is at least one very bent iPad out there. But I don't really know any more than that. No, I think the, the whole point is anything that's as bent as those photographs is massively out tolerance. Yes. Uh, how did it get? Yeah. And if it's, if you know, whoever made the point, if it's bent, if it really is objectively bent, if it bothers you, then return it within the time period. You, you, if it's that bent, you sure should have determined within the, the, the time period that you can return it, that it's bent, and you should return it. Yeah, two Why weeks is, is so a long hard? time. Like, if you haven't noticed it's bent in two weeks, it probably isn't. Yeah. Mm hmm. And I have to say, of course, given all the news coverage, the very, 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 very first thing I did when my box arrived is I opened the box, I put it sideways and looked down the edge. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's not bent. Now I can remove the plastic covering, power it up, play around with my new toy. And it is, of course, delightful. Um, I went from a first generation 12.9 inch to the new big iPad Pro. And it's, they really have gotten quite a lot nicer in those intervening years. It, 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 it is such a beautiful device. And I love my new pencil. My new pencil rock. (laughs) I'm a very, very happy bunny, I have to say. Santa Claus was very good to me. Okay, uh, I'm going to wrap the show up with a quick rundown of some other stories that weren't worthy of making it as a main story, but we should mention nonetheless. Um, For those of you who care, um, Apple Music Connect is no more. Yet again, Apple is incapable of doing social it kind of clashes with what they are good at, which is privacy. So I guess that makes sense. Did anyone ever actually use Apple Music Connect to follow an artist? No. No. Nope. no. Nope. <laughs> and that's why it's gone. <laughs> but I only just got Apple Music. So it's not like I was on Apple Music and not doing it. I just didn't have Apple Music until very recently. So Yeah, I still don't actually, if I'm honest. Um, Apple have announced that they were building a new $1 billion campus in Austin, Texas, which will employ 15,000 people. That is definitely good news for Austin and for 15,000 people. Um, Apple have also launched a new online store for US military veterans. Basically, imagine the education discount store, but for veterans. So basically, they get 10% off. That is a nice thing for Apple to do. 
Apple have changed their rules so that you can now gift people in-app purchases, which is ever more useful as ever more apps switch to using in-app purchases to enable core functionality or to enable subscriptions and so forth. So that's that's good. Uh, Apple have launched new cases and watch bands uh, for the iPhone XS and the Apple Watch, obviously. Um, they look nice. Uh, Apple have also expanded their iPhone trade-in program. So this is where if you have an older iPhone, you can trade it in to get a new iPhone XS or X um, for cheaper. And now you can get it in the US, UK, Australia, Canada, China, Hong Kong, Japan, Austria, Belgium, Germany, Spain, France, Italy, uh, the Netherlands, Switzerland and Sweden. Which is a lot of countries, but not Ireland. Not that I need a new phone, so it's okay. <laughs> In terms of Apple Pay news, Apple Pay have launched in Germany. Uh, they are coming to uh, ComBank in Australia in January. And some legal wranglings with, with Apple Pay in Switzerland have been resolved. Um, there were issues with NFC stuff triggering Apple Pay when it shouldn't. And basically, Apple have promised to put a technical fix in place to deal with the competition issues that they were presented with in Switzerland. And just on a related note, recent research by Pew shows that uh, ever fewer Americans use cash. In 2018, only 53% of Americans make sure to always carry cash, whereas in 2015, that was at 60%. So that is not quite less than half, but it's, it's almost half now who don't bother carrying cash. Can, can I just make a quick comment on that as a general Please. piece of information, uh, Bart? Um, like you, I, I use my watch an awful lot now to pay um, for any number of different types of articles. Mm -hmm. um, today I had to return uh, one of uh, a group of articles that I had, and I paid with my watch uh, using one of my cards. And I went in and the guy said, okay, yes, you can have the credit, not a problem. Is that your credit card last four digits? And I looked at it and I said, no. Of course it isn't, <laughs> and then suddenly realized that that's probably because I paid through the watch and the security that uh, Apple put through Apple Pay. And I said, but it was definitely this card that I would have used in the background. And he said, okay, then we'll credit against that card. So just... Just be aware that <laughs> don't think it's something which is going on in the background. Just remember, because of the security processes that uh, Apple have put in through Apple Pay, um, if you're looking for a credit, they ask you for confirmation of the card that you used. Just remember how you paid. Yes, and I had something similar. It, again, it was successful, right? The, 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 the yes. bottom line is I was able to bring the stuff back. It was, I think it was little. And it was like, well, I paid for Apple Watch. Is this going to be a problem? And the guy behind the table went, oh, I don't know. Let's put it through and see what happens. And he put it through and it got me refund. So I had it, the it same story. Fine. I had to return something I bought with my watch and it was the same thing. Like, uh, let's see. So, yeah. And you went, also saw And in I the hope. US, it was fine as well. And then finally, just a collection of stories, because, again, these are all just rumours, really, until Apple finally tell us why they are making all of this original content. But uh, in terms of Apple's original content, the news to break in December was that Apple is trying to acquire an Israeli drama starring Richard Gere. And the big the big news in that story was that it contained violence and stuff. And so clearly Apple, the, the rumour that Apple were only going to do U-rated stuff doesn't appear to be true after all. 
Uh, Apple have ordered apparently a J.J. Abrams series starring Jennifer Garner um, and Apple have, which I think is definitely big news, landed rights for some new Charlie Brown and Snoopy stuff from Peanuts. That, that, that will, I think, make a lot of people very happy if Apple do new, new Peanuts stuff. So there's, that's what crossed my radar in December 2018. Um, if there's anything that anyone feels I've terribly omitted, do please speak up quickly. Um, I think I got most of it. Nothing jumps out at me, but certainly not. I don't no, think it was no. a great, great wrap up of the month. Hmm. Yeah, Chuck. Well, folks, I'm going to thank all of you. All uh, Actually, first off, it's, it's been a while since we've had a full party of five, which I consider to be the limit. And I just want to thank you all for being so well behaved because panels of five <laughs> can get a bit tricky. And hey, this was great. This was a really fun show. So thank you so much um, for giving of your time and also for such such good contributions. Um, in reverse order, um, Simon, do you want to tell the good listeners where they can hear more from you? And do please plug your wonderful podcast. Uh, well, of course, I am on the Essential Apple uh, podcast, which you can find over at EssentialApple.com or over on the uh, MyMac site, MyMac.com. Excellent. Uh, Chuck, do you want to remind the good listeners of your work? Yes, uh, you can find everything that I do over at macvoices.com. Uh, there's plenty of content there, and I would love to have you come visit. Uh, from, but, but keep listening to Bart's show anyway. Yeah, do both. There's just time enough in the day to, to, to enjoy Chuck's content, Simon's <laughs> content, indeed Kelly's content. So, Kelly, do you want to um, remind people of what you do? And you know, feel free to plug whatever you'd like to. Sure. Um, well, the first thing I want to plug, obviously, is going to be App Camp for Girls, which is at appcampnumber4girls.com. Uh, it's a day camp program where we teach iOS development to um, uh, kids going into eighth and ninth grade. And uh, they end up with a fully functioning app at the end of the week. They have to pitch to investors. And uh, we are looking to... Uh, expand we're always looking to expand and in order to do that uh, we are a registered nonprofit in the united states and uh, we're always looking for donations you can find out more at our website and the rest of the time you can find me over at macobserver.com where i host the daily observations podcast five mornings a week uh, can i just uh, just jump in there and say app camp for girls is an amazing thing Please, listeners, support their work because I think the world would be a much better place if more young girls learn how to code. I think, well, more young everyone, but particularly a bit more gender balance in the nerd community would be very good. It would indeed. Yeah. I mean, I, I work in that industry and it. I notice regularly that I can be in meetings with far too many people for it to be statistically realistic or reasonable for it to be all men in the room and yet it's all men in the room. That's, <laughs> but here we are, yeah. Yeah, so I would like that not to be true, you know, 10 years from now I'd like to walk into rooms and be shocked when, you know, the population of the room and the population of the population don't line up. But right now that's just not true and that makes me sad. Uh, Gaz, do you want to let the good listeners know where they can find out more from what you get up to? Absolutely not quite so deserving, I think, as that. But go over and listen to the MyMac uh, podcast with uh, myself and, and Guy Searle. You know, we're a, a bunch of uh, middle-aged white men, but we have a laugh and we'll include everyone. And an irreverent honestly. look at the Apple News, perhaps? Ir totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally irreverent. I've, I've had the pleasure of standing of, of, of guest hosting when some of you guys have been on holidays over the years, and it has always been... 
terribly good fun to let my hair down because it's 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 it's, it's a very fun format you guys have. So uh, that's over at uh, the MyMac podcast. Again, folks, thank you very much for giving your time. Uh, listeners, you will find detailed show notes with links to all the stories that informed my thinking over at lets-talk.ie. While you're perusing through all of those links, you'll also see in the sidebar a section marked support the show. Thank you very much to all of you who do and have and continue to support the show. It is your support that makes the show possible. There were... There were no ads at the start of the show. There will be no ads at the end of the show. This is not an ad-sponsored show. This is a 100% listener-supported show. This show is possible because you guys rock. And I thank you very much for all of your support through 2018. And I look forward, I hope, I hope, I hope I don't, you know, make you all cranky and you all sod off. But I hope to look forward to lots more support in 2019. Um, you can support the show by a single one-off PayPal donation. You can support the show by becoming a patron at Patreon, which allows you to give efficiently a small dollar amount on a regular basis. And then there are also affiliate links for Hover, Domain Hosting and DigitalOcean uh, servers. If you need those nerdy things, then those affiliate links are great. If you don't need those things, ignore those links. They're of no use to you. And also simply telling your friends about the show is extremely helpful, as is reviewing the show in iTunes or your podcaster of choice. So again, Happy New Year to everyone. Let's hope for lots of great Apple fun throughout 2019. And until next time, happy computing. Hello everybody, this is Simon Parnell, the host of the Essential Apple Podcast, the show where we aim to take a wander around the week's news in Apple, news, reviews, technology, security and anything else that catches our eye. Plus, from time to time, we like to have guests from the industry who we get to tell us about their products, their services, their history, their philosophies, what uh, drives them, and of course, just what makes them tick. That, plus a bunch of friends talking about the news in Apple. What more could you possibly want? Check us out on the My Mac Podcasting Network 